Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 484. It's easier to keep going than it is to quit. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. I'll never worry again about having a dead battery with my NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in my glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that'll jump start a dead battery in my car, boat, truck, or RV. The Genius Boost features built-in spark-proof technology and reverse polarity protection to safely jump start any of my vehicles. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are built from solid copper for maximum conductivity. There's a built-in ultrabite dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS and emergency strobe. I use my Genius Boost Jump Starter to charge my phone, tablet, and laptop while I'm on the road or if the power goes out in my home. The unit itself is easily rechargeable in my vehicle. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, the battery car source since 1914. I've got one in each of my vehicles. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. Today, I am so excited and revved up to introduce a very special guest, David Murray. David, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I am indeed. I've uh, seen your website and really looking forward to being a part of it. Very cool. It's great to have you here. David Murray, owner of David Murray Motorsports, is a driver for all classes. His company provides driver's coaching, trackside support, track days, and automotive storage and maintenance. David started his racing career in 1981 in a Formula Ford, and since then, he's raced in the Sports Renault Series, the ALMS Series Petit Le Mans at Road Atlanta, the Daytona 24-Hour, and the ALMS GT2 in a Ford GT. He was a factory driver for Nissan, competing in the Grand American Rolex Series, driving GT cars, and he raced in Daytona prototypes driving a Porsche-powered Doran chassis. He's also raced a Porsche 968 BMW M3 GTR, and today he drives for Team TGM in a Porsche GT4 Cayman in the IMSA Continental Tire GS Series. Very cool. David, I told our listeners just a tiny bit about you and your history. Would you take a moment share a little bit more about your racing career, your interest, and, of course, your passion for racing? Sure will. Yeah, I've actually been racing. This is my 35th year of racing, not including autocross. Wow. So since you've already given away that I started in 1980, <laughs> I'll let you know that I was born in 1975. So, <laughs> no, actually, uh, I'm a bit older than that, but I have been doing it for quite a long time. I've driven everything from sports cars to Formula cars from the Ford to, to NASCAR, actually, in the Cup Series up at uh, Watkins Glen and Sonoma and things like nice. that. So, and we've done some stock car stuff in Arca with uh, Pocono and Atlanta and things like that. So I've, I've done quite a bit of things. Yeah. And I was fortunate enough to drive for a number of factories, one you mentioned, including also uh, Lotus and BMW and Porsche. And Porsche has been most of my career doing nice. that sort of thing. And so it's uh, pretty special. And then now passing on the rest of those those years of knowledge and, and contacts through the PCA club and things like that and, and the coaching aspect of it. So it's been a, a, a great ride. And, and, you know, it's one of those things I keep telling the folks I coach, the reason we do this sport is because we're all type A personalities 
and we love to do this. And it's the only thing that keeps our interest up. You know, if you get a boat, you go in the lake, you full throttle, and next thing you know, it's over. And what now? What am I going to do the same thing tomorrow? No. And so even today, 35 years later, actually racing plus autocross before that, it's that fresh competition. If I'm racing against guys that have been doing it as long as I have, you know, I better have my, my act together because they know as much as I do and they've been doing it as long as I have. And, and the young guys are hungrier. And so it, it, it keeps that freshness and keeps that, that interest that we all have and, and that we need to have that focus as, as, uh, as the type of people we are. Oh, absolutely. And I think it's so great that you've been uh, in the seat for such a long time, following your passion for as long as you have. And I understand your son is following a bit in, in your footsteps. Absolutely. He's uh, 15 years old today. He's been racing since he was seven, driving something since he was born. And he's gone through go-karts. He's been doing Legends cars at Atlanta Motor Speedway for the last three years. And now, just now starting late model racing and uh, made some good, good inroads in a test up at uh, Mooresville, North Carolina, uh, a month or so ago, and really looking forward to, to moving that career forward. But uh, he's keeping me busy as much <laughs> as I'm doing anything else. That's my other full-time job. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, as we continue on your journey, I always like to start with a success quote. This is some kind of saying that's been instrumental in forming your life and your success on the track. It's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? I know you love to drive, so David, take the wheel. You know, I do have one. It's not one that anybody's ever heard of before that I know of. I've never heard it before. The the local franchisee for Domino's Pizza in Atlanta that was my sponsor, he saw that I was struggling. I was going to the races, sleeping in my car, begging for rides. And, you know, he could see the the, the the challenge in my face and my disappointment. And you're like, well, you know, I just don't know if I can keep doing this. He looked at me and said, it's easier to keep going than it is to quit. And... It took me a bit to, to think about it. I said, no, it doesn't. I could quit. It'd be easy. I wouldn't have to do all this, sleep in my car, begging for rides, doing all these phone calls and stuff. But when I started thinking about it, he's right. I did not have the ability to quit. I had to keep going. And so for that sense, it was easier to keep going than to quit because if you quit, you'd never be able to, you'd never be able to whole life let that down. So, David, would you share a story with us that instigated your passion for racing? Tell us a little bit about this journey you've had over these 30-plus years of racing. What got you into it? How did you get started? And what brought you to where we are today? Well, you know, I started off racing, say, 35 years ago. I knew I always wanted to race, right? Mm -hmm. And so didn't know how to do it, didn't know anything about it. And I worked for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution in the mailroom. And these guys said, you know, they were going to go to uh, to a race this weekend. I said, what, where, when, how? And it was at Road Atlanta. And once I found out the racetrack went there, I never missed a race there until I actually started racing. It had to be somewhere else at another racetrack when that happened. So, <laughs> so, I, and I worked two jobs. I did that, and then I also worked at uh, a buddy of mine had a Chick Fil A store in the in the Atlanta uh -huh. area. Yeah. And so he asked me to help him out one day, and I did for a few hours, and ended up working there. For about five years, along with a newspaper, I'd work for him uh, for serving lunch and then go down to the, the newspaper and work from four to midnight. Oh, my gosh. So I only had each week, and then I had my race car that I took care of, my Formula Ford that I bought. And I either had two full days a week off or four half days, depending on how you looked at it. So in that time I, I took, I worked on the race car, you know, I'd do the turnaround between the races. Mm -hmm. I ended up racing for four years in Formula Ford doing that. And from day one, started calling, looking for sponsorship. Mm -hmm. And, of course, you know, 
if you were lucky. And back then, there was no electronic media, so you actually had a hard copy that you sent a mail. You make a phone call and say, yeah, and they say, yeah, send me something. And so I'd, I'd send something to this company, which would be a sheet of paper on and a, a big packet that would go along with that, your bio and all that sort of thing, and, and the proposal. Yeah. They get it, and if I was lucky, I'd get a phone, a letter back in the mail saying, "Thanks for your interest in XYZ company, but at this time it doesn't work for us. But good luck on your ventures. Sure. Otherwise, you wouldn't hear, hear back from them." Yeah. Today, while everybody gets to do the social media, it's still a much quicker response and much easier mm -hmm. uh, to do that stuff. But then your competition does that as well, so it's still difficult. Yeah. So after four years, I was pretty much in my my wit's end and thought, you know, this is not going to happen. And the local franchisee guy. Decided to give me, buy me a set of tires for the for the national championship, the SEC runoff, my Formula Ford, and he said, you know, we'll work on something next year. Well, next year came and and it was Domino's Pizza, and they he was just a franchisee in Atlanta. So those folks didn't had already committed something. He said, sorry, I don't have any for you. I said, wait, wait, let's don't go away. Let's do something. So he's been a great uh, help at that point. We did something for a couple sets of tires for the whole next year. I put my car on display, put the Domino's hat and shirt on, put my car out front. His stores every chance I get. And next thing you know, Domino's Pizza and Coca-Cola started doing business together after that time. And my brother, who was older than me, was working at Coca-Cola. Huh. He called the marketing guy said, right, who's, he called and said, who's in charge of the marketing for uh, racing around here? They said, oh, Kent Hill. So he calls up Kent and said, hey, can you sponsor my brother and pull me forward? He kind of went, well, no, but tell him to call me. I'll be glad to talk to him. Yeah. I'm still friends with Kent today. He mentored me and taught me the marketing and business side of it all, mm -hmm. which I got to tell you, you know, being a racer, all you think of is give me money. I'll put a decal on your car. It'd be great. Yeah. And <laughs> not quite the way it works. Sure. So after a lot of years, some of that sunk in. He helped me for the long haul and it's still, like I said, friends today. And now he's helping my son. But, but we got past all that stuff. And believe it or not, after four years, that was the beginning of my dream. So I knew him for four years after the Formula Four deal. I ran out of money. I had nothing left. And I said, one more phone call. At that time, he was doing business on a national level with Domino's Pizza. So I met the national lady there, Joyce Julius. And next thing you know, I called her as my last phone call at the end of that four-year period. said, you know, gee, can you do something? She goes, yeah, I think we can. So the next year, we ran a spec racer, the Sport Renault called back then, with Domino's Pizza and Coca-Cola as a sponsor on, on the car. We got another car that somebody else already had said, well, if you'll take care of the cars and work on them, we'll, we'll liberate both of them. We'll pay for your expenses if you'll do the labor for free. And we did. Won the championship, got lots of exposure. But unfortunately, those folks left Domino's Pizza at the end of that year. New folks came on and said, you know, we're not big race fans. We're tennis fans. And they, they quit sponsoring <laughs> uh <-oh>. racing. <laughs> so then it was back to square one. And then I went to all the pro races, the IMSA races. And I actually slept in my car. I, I worked for Skip Barber. And drove from event to event. I'd drive to, let's say, Connecticut to Lime Rock to teach for Skip Barber and you'd pay your mileage. Yeah. And then I'd drive back down to, to Watkins Glen, New York, you know, a few hours away in upstate New York and sleep in my car at the IMSA race and beg for rides. Can I drive your car? And they said, Do you have any money? Well, no. No, I don't think so. And then I'd drive back home and, and I'd drive somewhere else, do it all over again. I did that for two years Ooh. and got one drive in two years. Finally, Honestly, it was uh, at, at that point, you're so – I mean, everything I gave, you think this is all I can do. And at some point, you realize you just can't make it happen. So I thought I got to do something else. And then uh, I was going to carpet clean, do carpet cleaning, whatever, over the winter. And then next thing you know, when you quit being quite so desperate, 
then folks start calling and they can see that and they start asking to do things. And so then from then on, I had some folks that I taught in the Skip Barber School that came up. We did a season in Firehawk, show them stock racing back then at the Camaro. Uh-huh. And then another, another one of my students said, what are you doing next year? And next year, I went doing stuff with him where we actually did more Firehawk for three years. And that kind of just got me going. Yeah. From yeah. that, I was teaching at Road Atlanta driving schools, coaching. And Doc Bundy, who was already a big factory driver, got Lotus to come involved and drove the uh, Lotus Esprit and got me involved in that program. And that was my first factory effort. We raced against Porsche in the supercar series. We had a Lotus Esprit turbo. They had the 911 turbo. We raced against them. Doc won the championship. My job was to protect him and give uh, points between him and the, the Porsches. And it worked. And then Porsche approached me and said, well, before you make any commitments next year, come talk to us. And I did. And then in 1995, I drove the World Challenge for them and won the championship. And then they asked me to do them all. And it's been a great, great uh, ride since then with Porsche. And even BMW at some point kind of approached me. And I finally did something with them where I drove their, their M3 GTR, the V8 flat bottom car. I rode Atlanta Petit Le Mans. Nice. And, and so, you know, it's been a great, great experience. But, but that's just the beginning. And then you've got the rest of the rest of your career to continue doing it. So that's how I got how get you there. Absolutely. So, David, what I'd love for you to do now is share a huge challenge or even a great failure that you faced along the way in your racing career. Uh, but most importantly, tell us how you overcame that situation and what did it teach you so you can move forward? You know, when these when you're growing up and I had um, if anybody's familiar, if you're, if you're old enough to be uh, leave it to Beaver or one of those. Guys, <laughs> yeah. Growing up, I was Beaver. My brother was Wally. And mom and dad were June and Ward. So who was Eddie? Eddie was my brother. We did have an Eddie. My brother Eddie was my brother's friend, actually, just like with Wally. With Wally. But you know, it was. It, it's one of those things that growing up, everything was perfect. Mom and dad got along wonderful. Uh, it was just a perfect, perfect family, right? Yeah. And everything they, they they always taught you, you can do anything. You can do anything. Anything you want to do, you can do it. And so. You know, and when you go, Mom, I got to do this, they say, okay, well, when you get out of Mom and Dad's nest and you start to go out in the real world, yes, you can do that stuff, but nobody told you how difficult it was going to be. <laughs> yes. And and you walk up to somebody and go, can I drive your car? And Mom and Dad would say, sure. <laughs> you know, it might, might take a little twisting. But another team owner goes, I don't think so. What for? You're, yeah. you're just – But and then you go – but I'm David, you know. So, yeah, and they my, don't care. My mom says I'm a really good guy. Yeah, mom says I'm a really good guy. So, so talk to my mom. And <laughs> and so that was a huge obstacle for me to overcome. And I think sometimes when you have people that are are successful early in life or these big giant successful people, a lot of times they've had a difficult home life and they've had to kind of get out on their own and be on their own in the real world at an early age, which gave them time to kind of come to grips with that and, and move on and make things happen. Yep. And and now I would not trade that life for anything because, you know, having that home life with, with you know, Leave it to Beaver was the best on the planet and it leaves a good whole, a good whole uh, personality, a whole, you know, a whole person with you, but yeah. that lasts forever. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, when, when you go to that, that age, when you transfer, you get kicked out of the nest or you go leave the nest, it was really hard to come to grips with, well, you have to have a reason that somebody wants to do something for you, not just because, you know, mom and dad want to. Yeah, with the old, uh, what's in it for me? <laughs> not you, kid. What's in it for me? What are you going to do for me? 
Exactly. It took a long time to look for that way, you know, and, and I think in a way that was a blessing for me because I was so naive, had no idea how difficult this was going to be. So, yeah, I'll do whatever, everything else I've done in life made happen. And I'm glad I was naive because had I known how difficult and hard it would be, would you have done that? Would you have started down that road to begin with? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, great story. I love it. And it's uh, very true today a lot with uh, some current generations who maybe have been told their whole life that they're great. And maybe that, that age-old uh, story of, well, everyone gets a trophy, everyone's a winner. But when you get out in the real world, that isn't not the that way, way it is. No. It's not the way it is. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. And I'm trying to do my part to tell Dylan that, you know, and, and it's great. I've had some really good help within the racing organization and out your way, actually, Don Kitts up in Seattle. Ah, uh, yes. Don's been a guest here on Cars, yeah? Don is awesome. He's my hero, and he's really a great guy in a lot of ways. And he's mentored Dylan, which is great because, you know, if it's just me, it's one thing. But Dylan, you know, I've told him, I said, you know, at some point, because he was, as he was growing older, when he was young, you know, people, okay, they'll talk to me. But I said, at some point, they're going to want to talk to you, not me. Right. And people are going to help people that help themselves. And yeah. Don has really driven that home to Dylan, and, and Dylan's gotten a lot of that from Don. Very nice. Yeah, Don's an awesome guy. I've been to his driving school, raced at his track many, many times, and a uh, really nice guy, great family. Dylan's in good hands there. Let's shift gears and go to the other end of the spectrum. Would you share a story with us when you had kind of a racing career aha moment? It's kind of a time when the headlights shine and give you some guidance as to which track to go down, which way to proceed in your career, and tell us the steps you took to turn your aha moment into a success. Well, you know, it's one of those things is as you're – and that's what's great about – I keep going back to my son Dylan, but I've had 35 years to learn all these things that I can cut his learning curve short. Yes. And so one of that is you know, try, trying to find the sponsorship was an aha moment uh, or, or coming out of – from mom's nest and mom and dad's nest to the real world. But it's, it's kind of like, well, what path do you go through? And originally for me, I wanted to be a Formula One driver. That's all I cared about. And so I went down that path. I kind of worked it backwards and said, what's the step before Formula One? It would be IndyCar over here, being a U.S., being an American citizen without sure. going to Europe. Uh-huh. So I said, IndyCar be that. What's before that? Well, that would be a sports car or Super V back in the day. And so I, I took the path of sports car because when I did the Domino's Pizza thing, Doug Shearson was a team owner at the time. And I said, Doug, would you rather have somebody that had Super V experience or GTP experience? And he said GTP because of the horsepower. So then I went to the sports car and ended up staying there. But during that time, NASCAR was really not much of a, of a series, and IndyCar was huge. So when you went down that path, and all of a sudden it kind of reversed, and NASCAR grew, and IndyCar kind of dwindled down a little bit. And I really had – I want to do the pinnacle of racing, whatever that is. NASCAR was great. So I went that way, and they said, where's your oval experience? Yeah. What? And, of course, <laughs> everybody now that it's a big deal wants to go that direction. So your aha moment, and that was, you know, you had to pick a path and you had to be ver- diverse in everything so that when the opportunity came anywhere, you could take advantage of it. Oh, yeah. 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 You know, it's a really great, it's great advice for those young drivers who are interested in doing something. I've heard this from some of my other guests. I had Patrick Long on the show last uh, last year, and he said something very similar. He was given guidance by a mentor who said, you know, pick. Pick a path and stay with that path. And for him, it was Porsche, of course. Stay with a mark. Uh, just stay on track. And that seems to have worked really well for him versus uh, other paths that different drivers take. So uh, very good advice. I like that. Let's talk a little bit about 
your first really special race car. Tell us that car that you got into. You finally went, man, I'm here. I'm finally racing something that is kind of a dream, a goal that I've achieved. And, and maybe share a memory you have with that car. Well, my first car, obviously, I first started, I, I bought a Fiat X19. When I was really young and stupid. <laughs> and, and, and that was special in the sense that I learned some things autocrossing. But I quickly realized that to spend you know, all day at a parking lot to drive three minutes was not what I was looking for. And so I said, you know what? I looked and I went to the races when I told you I, I was sleeping in my car begging for a ride. Or not, not that part before when I was working for GMAC. I'd work, uh, I'd go to the races when I found out where and how. So when I did, I, I watched Formula Ford and, and Super V and Formula V and I said, you know, I got to pick one of them. I want to do open wheel cars. So I want to do Formula One. And I picked Formula Ford because it was kind of in the middle. The, Super, the Formula V didn't look that enticing the super v was really expensive and so i thought well let's try to do from the board yeah so i yeah. bought my first lola t440 1978 model car nice i bought it in 81 or at the end of 80 and i actually drove it in a driver's school in 81 so that's probably my special car just because it was my very first race car on a racetrack with slicks and i remember driving that thing going through turn three at road atlanta up through turn one and turn three with somebody was kind of back and i said there's no way in the planet. Look how fast this thing! Because no no street car could come close. And then I looked in my mirrors, and there was somebody right behind me. So like, <laughs> you realize all of a sudden, uh, everybody can do that stuff. But, yeah. But you know that, and then the uh, the the Lotus was probably my first factory drive, and that's where things gave you the opportunity to say this this means something now because it's actually a factory, not just a, a private team. Yeah, real car. Cool. Very cool. Let's have a little bit of fun here. I'd love for you to take us through a little bit of the first most memorable race you've had, that race that you did. I mean, you've run so many races, so many different kinds of cars, so many different kind of tracks, but is there one that really stands out for you that's just this memory burned into your skull? You know, probably, you're right, there's so many after 35 years you do a lot of stuff, but, but some of the special ones are, I went to Porsche and I was trying to get a ride, and, the, the North America portion of motorsports wanted to know if I want to test at Daytona one of their cars. Sure. I had no idea what I was testing for, but I knew I wanted to be part of Porsche. Right. And it ended up being for Le Mans in 1998. And we went to, to Europe and tested at that point. We tested the 1998 GT1 Porsche that eventually won Le Mans in 98. Yeah. And also the open cockpit car, the prototype that was the LMP1 car that I, that I ended up driving at Le Mans. Cool. And being an American, I really didn't know much about Europe or Le Mans. I just, okay, kind of heard of it, but didn't really know much. And so they hired me to drive the uh, the prototype. Well, they asked me which car I wanted to drive. And I didn't realize the politics, what was going on and so forth, or what car would be better. Nobody knew because Porsche said we're going to run two GT1s and two open car, open cockpit cars because we weren't sure which one's faster either. Heads the best. So we ran four cars at Le Mans. And I was the first one to drive both cars, the 98 GT1 and the LMP car, at Paul Ricard was where we drove it. And and both of them were the same speed. But the LMP1 car had lots of understeer and we had a lot of development to do on the car. So I thought, well, that's better. So I'll pick that one. Yeah. And as you went to Le Mans, we went over there twice. That was when you had to pre-qualify. It wasn't an invitational race. And we went there in May and went back in June for the race. Mm-hmm. And I went over there in May and I couldn't believe how in tune all the fans were. <laughs> yeah. I'm walking down Lamar during the streets of Lamar in my just regular jeans and t-shirt 
And somebody comes in, Dave Murray, Dave Murray. So they know. We went there one time with, with uh, Adobe Milk of Duno in a prototype. And she's a hero over there just because they're so in tune to the, to the, to the drivers. Oh, yeah. So, it's a big deal. And, and every time I've gone back to Le Mans, it's been one of those more revelations. You realize just how big it is. And of course, we went back in June that year for the monster race and then went back uh, in 2001 with a prototype with Dick Barber. And then I went back in 2011 with Robertson racing with the four GT. And that was nice because it had been 10 years since I'd been there. And I had a chance to really reflect on the magnitude of the event instead of pressure of, you know, I'm sure Pat told you how, you know, there's a bit of pressure when you're driving for a factory. Yeah, just a bit. You don't really enjoy it when you're doing it so much. You're just you're focused on being successful at it. And then when it's all over, you sit back and go, wow, now look, I did that and did this. And it was, it was a great thing. But, you know, it's, it's really cool that you say this. And I've had a couple, gosh, classic guys, legend, iconic guys, Vic Elfert and Brian Redman on the show here. And both talked about how special La Mawa. Now they're racing back in a whole different time, Porsche 917s, 908s, things like that. Very different cars than yeah. the cars today. Scary cars. With no chicane. Ah, uh, yes. No, I mean, just incredible speeds. And uh, yeah, very special place. Well, thanks for taking us on that little trip to Le Mans. Very, very cool. I love it. Now, let's talk a little bit about today. I know you're driving a, a Cayman GT4. Oh, man. Awesome, awesome car. So I'd love for you to share a little bit about what you're doing with that. And also tell our listeners a little bit more about some of the other services that your business provides. Sure. Okay. The, the Cayman GT4, we were racing a, a BMW last couple of years in ST in the Continental Series. And its car is getting a little bit more difficult to be competitive. You know, it's at the end of its life cycle instead of the beginning. And here, this, this GT4 came in. And, of course, I'm a Porsche guy, so it was really nice to come back with Porsche. And we, we talked about it. And so what do you think? I said, sure. And so we got the car, and we've been we tested already six days. We haven't raced it because we got it around Christmas. And instead of trying to, to go to Daytona, we said, you know, let's just wait. Develop the car so we're ready. And we're at Sebring now. We're going to be uh, running that car for the first time. But we have tested two days here, and we've tested four days at Road Atlanta. We've made some some inroads, and I think we're going to be, be – I hope we're going to be surprised, you know, have a good competitive run. Mm -hmm. That car is – it's a PDK transmission, so it's it's a paddle shift with no clutch. And it's awesome. So you just left foot brake, and you shift, and it automatically blips for you on the downshifts. The, uh, nice. the, the Some of the differences are the car was developed and designed for Michelin tires, and we're running on the Continental tires. So there's a slight difference in you know some of the change of the springs and the, and the setup. But, yeah. but basically, it's the same car, and it is an absolutely spectacular, fun car. It feels like a real race car because it responds that way. Oh, yeah. Beautiful cars. I love even the road cars. are just so yeah. special. I have a friend who's got one ordered. I can't wait for him to get it and uh, – Come over and give me a ride. That'd be a shout out to Eddie. Low clue there, Eddie. Come over and give me a ride in that Cayman or better. Yeah, let, me, <laughs> let, let me drive that thing. But, uh, and what kind of services do you guys provide there at David Murray Motorsports? Well, uh, David Murray Motorsports is an umbrella that covers a lot of different things. And the main business we have, obviously, I do coaching personally myself. And then the main thing is David Murray Track Days, which we just conducted at uh, Sebring for our second event this year, Saturday and Sunday at Sebring. This, we do. We get the track and we, we reserve the track for two-day events. We're doing nine events per year this year and we'll expand every year. So we'll have the track. It's open track. So we have experienced drivers. The experienced drivers mean anybody that has done track events as even a driver edge solo driver that's comfortable in traffic all the way up to pro drivers that are actually testing their pro race cars for 
the race series. We don't have groups or sessions. It works really well. We limit the number of cars that come to our event so that we don't get overcrowded track events. We want to make sure the quality track time is there. And these guys come out and they'll bring their cars and they'll run around and it's open track for seven hours. Wow. From 8.30 to 4.30 with an hour for lunch. And they can go out anytime they want, as much as they want, as often as they want. They can bring, uh, we encourage for no extra charge, that they, they guys can come out and bring their pro instructors. If they don't have someone, we can certainly, you know, provide them or put them in contact with someone. You know, we have people, Pat Long's come to some of our events coaching. We have Chris Hall. We have Andy Lolly was here this weekend. Robin Liddell, Mackler. There's, everybody comes to these events and helps coach these people because it's a perfect format for that. So those guys come out and do that. And then I'm also there for two days available to look at video and data from anybody that wants to as often as they want to as well. Nice. So it's a great venue for that. And then uh, we, uh, you know, of course, I do the, the racing for the race team, which is the team TGM uh, that runs the Cayman GT4s. Yeah, very nice. Very cool. Now, this is next question is a very introspective question for you, David. I love this question. We'll see how you answer it. Yeah. If you if you were a car, or better yet, if David was a race car, what kind would he be and why? There is no doubt, no question, there's nothing that comes close. A Porsche 91730. Ooh, oh, man. A part of it is because it was special when I was growing up and, and into racing, but before I actually started racing, that was the car, the Can-Am car. And Mark Donahue was a, was a hero of mine. Because of that car and because of a number of other things as well. But I remember in high school, and I still remember this today, reading about that car running somewhere in France. And it said near Toulon, France, and it went the top speed of a closed course anywhere in the world, 257 miles an hour. And, of course, since then, I looked up where Toulon, France is, and it's right next to Paul Ricard. So that means it had to be Paul Ricard. And we tested there for Le Mans. I can see we had a couple of chicanes there, but the straightaway is so long. I can see how that car would go that fast there. So yeah. that was a that was a very very special car to me. Yeah, very cool. I love it. Great answer. So David, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsors. If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people. But what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy, too. Call 253-722-PLAN. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimball.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member, Finra Sipic. All right, David, we're back and we're entering the last lap. You know what this means. You're a racer. The white flag's out. And I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So you ready? All right. What's the best racing advice you've ever received and who was it from? Not directly, but from Al Holbert. He had a saying that said, everything is your fault. If you do that and look at it that way, you'll be a better driver. Uh, Meteor falls out of the sky, could have avoided it. Yes, the great Al Holbert. Great. Yeah. Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success on the track over the years? You know, it's basically the golden rule. My PR guy knew me really well, and he was the one that coined the frame, uh, phrase, you know, one of the good guys in motorsports. 
that's my goal in life to be that good person. My wife now has a country song out that says, "Remember to be uh, kind and uh, and hum- humble and kind." Yeah, and we live by those words. Very nice. Now, how about a resource? I know there's a lot of them out there, but is there one in particular you think the Cars Out listeners would really enjoy? Yeah, there's a book that for as far as learning stuff about a car, it's called How to Make a Car Handle by Fred Punn. I read that book six times before I understood the first paragraph of it, but <laughs> it really gives you a good concept. It's an old book, but it's still the best comprehensive book for that. Awesome. Great. Well, I'll remind our listeners you can find all these great resources at carsyeah.com slash David Murray, or just type David in the search bar and his show notes page will pop right up. All right, David, we are up to the checkered flag, and this last question can be a real doozy. If you could have only one collector car, I'll include collector race car, if that's the case in your garage, something vintage, it'd be something kind of fun, something special, or maybe you just park it in your living room and look at it. But don't worry about the price because money is no object. What would that one car be and why? Well, considering the question you asked me before, it's probably not going to be a surprise. That's going to be the Porsche <laughs> 91730. Porsche, well, let me tell you a story about that real quick. We yeah. went to the Rensport 1, the first Rensport reunion mm-hmm. at Lime Rock. And before that, at, when they had the Rensport event walking three years prior to that, Bob Carlson, who's PR, head of PR for Porsche Cars North America at the time, he said, yeah, we're going to walk. He's going to bring some cars from the museum from Germany, from Weissach. I said, oh, what are you going to bring? He said, this, that. And he said, the 917. I went, <gasps> <laughs> a vapor lock. And I said, you have to let me drive that car. Yeah. And Bob said, well, okay, well, we'll, we'll see. And then I found it was a 91710. Mm. And I went, oh. And Bob <laughs> said, oh, so that's not good enough for you. I said, no. I said, that's an awesome car, but there's nothing that's a 91730. So I didn't drive it. Three years later, when we went to the Lime Rock for the Ren Sport Reunion 1, he brought some cars. He said, and asked, he said, brought the 91730. And I went, oh. And before I said a word, he said, you can drive it. He already had it arranged with a factory that I could drive it. And my technical job was to drive it to make sure that Roger Penske would be able to drive it. It was okay for him to drive because he was going to be – he ran the car back in the day. Anyway, so I got a chance to drive that car and meet Roger Penske in a, a light of being uh, with Porsche. So it was a very, 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 very special uh, time for me and all that due to Bob Carlson, which I can't thank enough. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit. What was it like? to drive that car. I mean, what, what, what were your impressions? Well, the first thing is I knew here's my philosophy when I got in the car and sat in there. I said, you know, if I go faster than Mark Donahue could have gone, faster than Vettel could have driven, Michael Schumacher or anybody on the planet, nobody would know that. <laughs> if I hurt this car, the entire world will know this. And so I had a, I wanted to drive it fast enough to enjoy it, but not fast enough to crash it. And I did. I got a lot out of it. You, know, you, you couldn't go full throttle until you were at least 120 miles an hour without spinning the car. Spin the tires. Spin the tires straight. So it's only four speed. But when I got in the car, you're, you, you, know, you don't want to stall the car. You don't want to embarrass yourself. So when I started to drive away, but I found really quickly that the car was really easy to drive. It was the old technology car, but it had a big displacement motor, 5 liter, 5.4, whatever it is. And so it had lots of torque. And then the turbo gave you even more power. And so when you drove that car, it was easy to drive off. And, and the whole thing was still easy to drive on the track. It felt good. And the motor was probably one of the best motors, smoothest and most manageable motors I've ever driven. And since then, I've gotten to be friends with Don Cox, who was the engineer on that car back in the day when it ran. And he said that he and Mark Donahue went to Europe. And, of course, they went to the factory and 
And the Germans go, yeah, yeah, look, it's a motor. It's, you know, 15 to 1,200 horsepower. And, and Mark, Don said, Mark asked him, so, well, what's it like on partial throttle? Oh, no, but to 1,200 horsepower. And he said, no, what's <laughs> So they ended up flying back home to the U.S. And all the way home, Don said, Mark kept brewing about this until they landed. And as soon as they landed, they bought another plane ticket, turned around, went right back to Germany. said, so you have to make this thing drivable on partial throttle. Yeah. And so they've done an awesome job with that. And it's very easy to drive. But when I asked the uh, at, at that reunion, they had the guy there that was Manfred Winkelhoff, whatever his name was, that oh, was there yeah. mm-hmm. in charge of the, the motorsport program for Porsche back then. And so I got to ask him some questions, and I said, "Well, okay, there's no boost gauge in the car, there's no boost knob in the car. What's the boost set at?" Or, or Carl Bischoff, who was taking care of the car, he said, "Oh, it's 1.2 bar." That's okay. How, how much horsepower is that? 1,200. <laughs> and they said that one bar was a thousand horsepower and every tenth of a bar was a hundred horsepower until they got to fifteen hundred horsepower at one point five, which is when they set the closed course record at Talladega. Yeah. And I said, okay, what's the chassis weigh? Or what's the car weigh? And the whole car weighed seventeen hundred pounds. <laughs> you can imagine twelve hundred horsepower <laughs> was seventeen hundred pounds. Yeah. And of course the chassis only weighed eighty pounds. And you had fifty gallons of gas on the outside of the left side and the outside of the right side. So you're sitting between a hundred gallons of fuel with 1,200 horsepower and 1,700-pound car. Uh, it's like a spaceship. Yeah, incredible. Well, thanks for taking us through that. So uh, last month at Amelia Island, uh, were you the guy that raised the, the paddle to buy Jerry's uh, 917 that sold? No, that was actually – and when we were at – funny because we were at uh, Lime Rock doing this thing at the Rensport, Matt Drendel, who owned that car, the Jerry Seinfeld car, which was – Penske said was the newest and latest greatest one, Brought his car out, so Matt had his car there as well. Nice. And then we actually had a little problem with the fuel pump. When Penske drove it, he stopped, so Matt offered him to drive that car. And Penske drove it. He said, but but Matt told him, said, but, but the only thing I ask you is you sign the windshield. So that car that Jerry Seinfeld just bought and sold has Roger Penske's signature on the, uh, the windshield. windshield. Yeah, I was lucky enough to see that car when it was at uh, Bruce Canapa's place. And it was there with one of the older 917s, another classic famous car, of course. And to see those two cars sitting side by side was uh, quite quite an experience. So very cool. Well, David, you have taken me on an awesome ride around the track today. I knew you would, and I've really enjoyed talking with you. And I want to thank you for sharing your racing journey with the Cars Yeah listeners. Could you offer us one parting piece of guidance before you head off down the track in that 917.30? You know, I was... Growing up, I was struggling to do all this stuff, going to some of the concerts, and probably one of my my favorite musical group is, is Styx. I know it's an old group, and somebody's going to laugh at that, but <laughs> I went to the concerts, and there were there were motivational words in all their lyrics mm-hmm. that kept me going, that kept me pushing on. And I remember one of the con- you know you know the concert, and they say you know one of their songs is. You might think that I can't hear you calling from the 14th row, shadow of the 14th row, but you know I had the same dreams you had just a few short years ago. And some of those things resonate so well. And he said, you know, don't ever let anybody tell you that you can't do something. Don't take no for an answer. And when they say, where's your backup plan? Say, I don't have a backup plan because that's already giving up. Great, great advice. I love it. Sticks, oh yeah, I remember them. Definitely. I think we're from the same generation here. So very cool. Well, listeners, again, you can find links to everything David has been so kind today at his very own show notes page at carsyad.com. Just type David in the search bar, and that page will pop right up with quick and easy links. And what's the best way for our listeners to learn more about David Murray Motorsports? You know, if you just go to my website, and don't spell it with an A, but 
It's www.davidnurry.com, davidmurray.com. There you go. Great website. I encourage our listeners to go and check it out. And when you see David going around the track, give him a big wave. David, thank you for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and for sharing your experiences with me and with our listeners. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thank you, Mark. It was great talking with you and loved your website. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.